Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 40-year Wall Street analysts that have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide a handful of candid stock ideas here on the show each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air. So we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we have three great ide uh, medium ideas right from Wall Street, and um, I think you're going to like all that, and we have some commentary about the economy that I haven't even seen yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But before we get to all that, some really important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional investors, analysts, portfolio managers during the week. We do a lot of careful research on companies and industries. We do forecasting. We talk to management teams. Here we've been very careful to do absolutely none of that. And third, um, we do not have your interests in mind uh, at all. We just have our own greedy interests in mind. And fourth, and I know I'm only speaking for me, Mo, but um, I have been heavily drinking. See all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took at www.thevalueguys.com. And uh, welcome to the show. It's August 4th, 2020, I guess. And uh, it's uh, a birthday of a friend of mine, Uns. So happy birthday. Um, and we've got some terrific ideas uh, from uh, several screens I ran. Just I did some momentum screens just so me and Mo could be on the same page. I wanted to do that this week for Mo because um, I know that he has a birthday sometime this year that I don't know when it is. But in honor of that, I did a momentum screen. Yes. And then I think Mo's got some pretty cool stuff. So um, I think I'm going to hand the show over to Mo. I've got a few things I want to talk about, the stock market doing this and that, but um, I just think that Mo has some thoughts. So uh, let's turn it over to Mo. He's uh, down where in Florida and musings from Mo, I think. Well, I, I just want to give people a heads up. There is a, there is a photo, uh, autograph photo of Val. It is on eBay. And the current bid is $7. So get on that. Is that right? Because I gave my mom one uh, for free. Well, uh, she, I'm going to have to. She's $7. Okay. There's two watchers. So That's nice. So uh, um, jump on that. I think you can go right on eBay and just do Val photograph. Value guys, Val photo. And uh, Mo, you don't do autographs, right? Because you want to keep the value. Uh, I think I might assign too many things over the years. That's what's happening. Well, go into the memorabilia section, and it's there. And if you want the uh, value guys bobbleheads, those are there too. They're a little more money, but seven dollars hmm. for the photograph. They're all. I think they're entirely made of wood, right? They're natural uh, wood. Yeah, which is very representative of the real thing. So, so Mo, what's going on? It's still COVID. I'm still in my basement, although I saw some cars on the highway today. Um, the market's been, you know, kind of hanging in there, doing okay. And, um, but you're down there and it's still, it's a hot spot. And I don't know how you're managing well, to, uh, to get around down there. What's going on? We're, uh, we're indoors, but the good thing is, you know, when, when you've got 12,000 square feet under air, which just means inside, you can move from room to room and it doesn't get so boring. So that's the, the key. Is, that's nice. Did you guys downscale recently? What's up? Nah, this is our, this is the, the winter cottage. We're just staying. 
Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I like, understand. You can, you can Google it. You can see it from space. Actually. Is it? Uh-huh. Uh, did they aim for that in the splashdown? Or I think that was a... That was the pool. No, we kind of just tried okay. to dissuade them from that because there was a, you know, they land in the lap pool and it's really, it takes a okay. to clean up. So I did have a, I did have a question from a, from somebody last week because we were talking yeah. about analysts, which is what, you know, which is what we did for a living. Would you still do for a living? Well, we're supposed to be doing that now, but sometimes we wander. Right. But um, that's fine. People can skip ahead. There's stock stuff later. Well, someone want. asked me, um, so how much, do we, how much do you guys make? And of course, the answer is, well, it depends. And that led into an interesting conversation I thought I'd share with some of you. Um, there's sort of six layers of analysts. And uh, some of that depends on what your skill set is. So let me walk you through what those six layers are from the, the easiest, which is the most junior level of a research analyst to the most senior level of a research analyst and kind of what they do. And it's like the military, there's grades and pay grades all the way through. Yeah. So your, 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 your entry level guy is gonna make about 60,000 bucks a year and all he's gonna do is model. And if you wanna, if you wanna be that guy, you wanna, everyone has to start at that. You need to be accurate, obviously. In these days, you need to know your macros, you need to be able to graph really well, you need to know your technology, you need to be fast. But you know what you really need, and it was interesting when I kind of wrote up these notes, I realized that the first three levels, when you're going from private to sergeant, the key is long hours. When you're a modeling, when you're the guy that's making these huge models, you are working, you know, you're working 90 hours a week or well, there's one other key ingredient, in my opinion, Mo, and that's saying yes to anyone who asks you for anything. Yep. It's just yes. That, that helps. So there's your there's your first there's your first level. You're the you're the you're the junior analyst, and you do the modeling. Now the next guy up on the totem pole, and we all work in teams, is the guy that does some of the forecasting. It's one thing to just create a model. He would work on this year working backwards to create the whole model. But the guy who then takes the handoff to go forward, he's going to be an, an assistant vice president and he's going to have to do the forecast. Well, you know, if you're going to forecast, you got to know the company and you got to know the industry pretty well. You got to know what the competitive landscape is. I mean, there's a big difference between a company that's growing at 8% and 20%. You got to know that and know why. And that guy, is usually an assistant VP in today's world, and he makes about a hundred. Now, those are also long, long hours, the forecasting guy. Now, the next guy up on the food scale is a guy that can write a little bit. Maybe you start as a young kid and he writes some of the morning notes, but by the time he's writing regular research reports, he is now a vice president and he's a senior analyst, which means he started doing the modeling, he owns the models, He's got the forecast, which means he knows the company, and he knows the industry, and he can write. And that guy's making about 125 with maybe a bonus of 50 to 100 grand. The next guy up is not only a guy who can write, but a guy who can sell. And you know, I, I, I'm biased. I believe you either have it or you don't. It's something that's very hard to, to, to learn. But when you have your model and you got your forecast and you've written your research report, somebody's got to go out there and pound the table and sell it. You need to 
And that piece right there, I don't mean to interrupt Mo, but that piece right there is what distinguishes 90% of the analysts who are helping everyone invest from the, you know, five or 10% that get to Wall Street because that's selling component. And the people who aren't good at it, they look down on it. I don't know if it's real or phony. You've run into this. It's like, oh, just a salesman. And I always say, you know, that salesman just closed a deal that pays your salary. How about that, buddy? And, um, you know, some of the analysts on the sell side and buy side, it's more prevalent. You met them. They take this academic approach as if it's sort of some sort of United Nations effort for truth when really understanding where your money comes from and you got to sell clients. There's 10 guys that look just like you. You're no different. And you got to sell it. And that piece, you were so good at, Mo. And uh, that's an interesting thing to talk about because they don't teach that in school. No, they don't. You know, and the thing is, you're, you're selling to a very different constituents. You have institutional clients. They want to hear the long form sales pitch. You have institutional salesmen, and they want to hear the medium form pitch. Then you got retail sales. They want the short form. Then you have traders. They want the super short form. If, and, and, they, and, and monosyllabic is sort of bad. How about reporters? They want uh, lunch and then whatever. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> if, you're, if you're a guy that can do the modeling, the forecasting, the writing, and then you got what it takes to sell, now you're, you're finally, you're a senior VP and you're in the million dollar range. The next level up is a guy that manages a team. Now, you know, one of the things people have very, very distinct. By the way, I just want to interject. This isn't automatic. I mean, that million dollar level, there's a hundred guys that want to get there. They're gone. People weed out, like the people that come into level one that you talked about, one, two out of 10 make it. Then the next level, two out of 10. It's a lot of one and two out of 10 on the way up, Mo, that you, you want to, I mean, it's the competition is unbelievable. Yep. And, and the skill sets get harder and harder and harder. So now you're a guy that you can sell and the retail sales guys love you and the institutional clients love you. <laughs> and now you got to manage, you got to manage a team. Now, you know, Lance Armstrong, who was a, obviously everyone knows who he is, was a pretty divisive guy, but I will say one thing. He got five cyclists. Any one of them could have won the Tour de France, and he got them to give up their own aspirations to work for him. So the key about being a good manager is you've got to have people that can pretty much do your job and compete with you, and yet you're managing them to work on your team. And by the time you're there, you're a managing director, and boom, you've hit the million dollar level. And then the last guy, the last guy is the deal maker. And that's the analyst that knows the industry, knows the companies, and they know the managements like they know their best friends. Well, and he's partnered with a banker, their teams generally. I mean, unless you're the one guy, but that's not as And so those, those guys that are, that are talking to um coos and they're telling them listen i understand the competitive landscape i understand it as well as you do here's an acquisition that i think would round out your portfolio here's an acquisition that i think would help yes with investors and i become the guy that can feel out an acquisition with institutional investors what if company abc were to buy company def what what do you think yeah 
Yeah. And you're adding that. And those guys, at least when I was back in the saddle, that's your, you're typically making between one and 7 million. So the answer is it depends on where you are on the food chain. It depends on how you're working your way up the totem pole. The skill sets get harder and harder and harder as you go up, but so does the money. So now bear in mind though, again, I don't want everyone to go out. This is a little bit like the number of people doing that at that level. I mean, there's 20 firms, there's 20 to 25. It's almost similar to major league baseball or basketball. When you talk about these positions, it's like making, it literally is the number of people that do it is similar to major league sports. And that's why the numbers are so big or mu you know, music or theater or whatever you're in or podcasting, let's face it, we're, we're, we understand what it's like to be at the top of that. But these fields you're talking about, that's at the top. There's 20 guys, 30, 40 at the most at those levels. And I think people uh, who are shooting for that, which, you know, we both shot for that. Um, it's, it's difficult. You got to be prepared for that, but it's also extremely rewarding. Even forget about the money, the people that you're interacting with in terms of their skill sets, their capabilities, you're truly in front of people that have help to change the world in terms of the technologies and things that they're, you know, they're bringing, you know, to society. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful career. And those of you that are English teachers that are listening in, and I know there's a lot of you, I would definitely encourage you to look into this whole investment thing, you know, that Mo and I talk about here on the show. It's really cool. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, and that's how we met actually. Mo and I went to college. Amazingly, a lot of listeners might not expect that, but we did. Yeah. And then we met from college. We, you know, you went, I actually, I got out. Yeah. Well, I don't want to give all the details, but um, in our first job, we met and uh, right from day one, Mo was a Mo guy and I was a, a Val guy and, um, and we liked drinking. So here you are. And that was the show. Yeah. And we're still at it. So you, so now that the listeners have learned that, and they should write in Mo at the Value Guys. He mentors completely for free. Just call Mo. He helps you get these jobs. He's talking about. It's not even a problem for him. And then, and I, I could help a little bit, but I can mainly um, teach you how to um, get a deal on subway passes. I've learned some tricks to that over the years as well. Um, but Mo, do you have any thoughts in terms of a stock idea? I know that you're mingling with people. You want me to go? Do you want to go? We got these people that are listening. They want some stock ideas. Let's face it. And we've just, you've just taught a man to fish. So go out and do that and be, you know, that's amazing. But now the people who aren't going to do that, what do we got for them? Anestra Zeneca. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's a stock. Okay. Okay. And how did you come up with this one, Mo? I, I have to believe that there's a story behind the sourcing of the name. Well, if you really want to, if you want to get, if you want to get your 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 uh, your investments right in the drug space, you need to know five things. One, you got to be a linguist. <laughs> okay. Why is that, Mo? Because. Not only can I not pronounce one single drug that these guys make, I can't even pronounce any of the management team's last name. 
So can you imagine having the job coming up with those names, those drug names? I've often wondered about that. Umaywara Swanaranthan, who is their chief scientist. Well, I thought those were the names of the products. So you really, if you, if you want to sell your buddies on why you chose this stock, you A, you better be able to pronounce things. And I tell you, that's going to take a couple of weeks just to go through the list of drugs. <laughs> I don't know who names these things. I mean, you know. Committees, probably. I don't so the second thing you need to know, you need to really, you need to understand the regulatory process that the drugs go through before they're approved, especially the coronavirus, you know, drugs, which yeah. I don't know. The second thing you need to know is you need to know the market potential for all the drugs they have in the pipeline, which I don't know. Well, per country, I know that's a big thing. Like the sales rights are different yeah. for each location. Yeah. The fourth thing you really need to know is you need to know what the competition is going to be from, from generics, what the competition is going to be from other drugs. Or yeah. So you've dug in on that? I don't know anything about that. And the last <laughs> thing you need to know you need to know what the impact could be from Washington. You know, are they going to have price caps? You know, Trump's going after some of the big pharma companies. Yeah. You must have a lot of contacts into that one. And world. I know nothing about that. <laughs> so, having put all those disclaimers out, I mean, <laughs> the lawyers are good with all that, I'm pretty sure. You realize when you're, when, you're, when you're a retail investor, we said last week that, you know, these guys, you know, who knew Amazon makes most of their money in cloud computing? I thought they made it in turnips that they delivered, you know, and, 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 and yeah, no, they delivered. Your Keep that under wraps. So, but this comes up on a lot of, on a lot of people's charts is a big name. You know, they're working on a, they're working on a drug that, that could be, according to the World Health Organization, one of the leaders for, for a coronavirus vaccine. And obviously that could be a huge boom for this company. They've been on a roll for the last couple of years, but the best I can tell you, and, and I'm looking at this, maybe you can help me out. They have a dividend, which is nice. They've never, they haven't changed it since 2013. It's a, so they've got a, a dividend yield that's somewhere around 3%. So that's nice. The street is very split on these guys. You have four sells, two holds, and five buys. So it's a perfect parabola or a perfect bell curve. Um, but the one thing I couldn't figure out is how is it possible? You're the finance guy. You're the numbers guy. This company has a negative book value. Is that possible? Uh, you know, yes, of course. One of the ways a lot of these companies nowadays get a negative book value is just the accountant screwing up the value of book value as a, as a metric. It's simply that if you buy your stock back at a multiple of book, uh, premium to book. So let's say you and your buddies made a company, you all invested $10 million. It's really cool what you've done. It's worth 20 million. You start buying the stock back because you think it's worth 30 million. The book value goes down as you buy it because you're you're paying more per share than is on the book. So a lot of companies that have negative book value, I know that you know it's going to strike accountants as bad. But from an investment point of view, it means management is confident enough to be paying well over book for their stock, and they've done enough of it that it drives equity negative. So that's a actually a positive, unless they got it by losing money, which uh, I don't think was the case. Them. Well, so it's not actually. I'm looking here's at what it. Here's happened so. with their no, return on invested capital from 2016. It's gone 10, 8, 6, 4. I, now, you're a trend guy. Can you see a trend in those numbers? Let's go over that again. 10, 
8, well, I see earnings going down. Um, I see my thesis on shares is not true. So they haven't, um, well, let's see, I have a short, I have quarterly here. Let me look this up, see if they've been buying shares because that would explain. So here's a, here's an eight. Talking about, I mean, they're buying a little bit of their stock, but not enough to explain negative here's equity. The stock that has exploded and it just, it's a, it's a good case of how a stock can go up and yet you can look at all these numbers and unless you're really in there and you understand what they've got in the pipeline, what they're developing, how it works and the timing, it is hard for me to make heads or tails out of these numbers. The only, the only number I understand on this sheet of about a thousand numbers is the dividend yield. Well, how did you come up with this name, I guess? Um, is someone thinking it's a good idea? And I came home and I looked, you know, you look at the chart, the thing has been on a roll for four years. It's been, it's been a super stock to own. So the, so the, yeah. the, the stock looks good. Um, usually I look at, you know, I hear, I hear a rumor, I look at the chart. If the chart looks good, then I go to, to, to see what, what, the, what the analysts are saying. And in this case, there's not a consensus on a buy. Um, and then I buy the stock and then I call you and I told you that I bought the stock and you tell me what the numbers are. Yes. Well, that's worked for years. <clears throat> um, okay. Well, I, I don't know if you have more to present on numbers your I've got. So if you here. think that, if you think there's anything compelling in this, if not, let's go to for now or forever. Hold my peace. <clears throat> I will say a couple yeah. of things. Um, this, I guess, has been named as one of those guys that might come up with a cure. So hooray for them. And they, if they do, they should be rewarded with a good stock price. It is, I'm just pulling up my uh, technical chart here. And they are trading above their 250-day moving average, which is good. Bless you. And so the technicals are all pretty good. And uh, let me make a comment about the non-technicals, or as we like to call them, the fundamentals. And what that is, is true of a lot of the drug industry, which is, it's been tough to continue to make money. Drugs invented the old way are harder and harder to find. Uh, they're coming up with new ways, you know, re-engineering the DNA is a good start and engineering specific cures for specific diseases. But these big drug companies aren't yet geared up for that. And they're largely still scientists trying stuff that works on, you know, uh, clams and seeing if it works on humans. And so these guys and others have had trouble coming up with new drugs. We've also had an issue with the FDA where they're just, who knows, slower is what the, you know, claim is. I think it's, <clears throat> excuse me, just harder to um, come up with, uh, you know, an understanding of some of these new, more esoteric drugs. So the whole industry's had trouble coming up with new inventions. And that's why a lot of them have just been buying them. And the core asset of these big pharma companies ends up really being the sales force. And when they find a new drug that works and the doctors are going to want it, they buy that company, plug it into their distribution and send it around. And so uh, AstraZeneca is no different than that. Their return on capital has been falling. In 2006, it was 40%. Now it's seven. Return on capital, that's a good number. If you have time just for one number, um, check that one out. Yeah. It's a bad one. Um, asset utilization. You know, it used to be higher, 0 0.6, 0 0.4. It's always been low. That's not been going well. 
Debt to capital is now 60%. Uh, debt to EBITDA is not too bad. It's 2.5. Okay. Margins have been coming down. I mean, generally from a high level, Mo, this thing has been in a little bit of a, a drought in terms of exciting new products and things to do. Now, having said that, as you said earlier, understanding just which drugs are at what stage of, uh, you know, patent expirations and things like that, and what stage of FDA trials and what's about to come out, that's all super important. But from a high level, I would say this is, um, you know, been eroding in terms of its competitive advantages, and um, it's still not super cheap. So, I'd certainly want to do more work around what do they have right now? What's working right now? What's the drug that's, you know, gaining the most new patients right now and do some homework around that. That's my, uh, E. Well, we're going to work them off the island because stocks that take too much homework. Don't work on this show. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, that was a good one, Mo. Um, I got a couple things that I prepared here to talk about and I prepared, Far less than usual because I was just coming off of something else. And uh, for whatever reason, that took my attention. So a couple things I want to mention. First, um, in a big picture sense, when you want to know what the heck's going on in the stock market, uh, to Mo's sense of, you know, how's our industry work, from a buy side perspective, every weekend, you got to go read Barron's and you got to get something called the Market Laboratory. It's a big confusing world. Like, where, where's all my information? It's in Barron's. So go and get that. And I'm just going to, I don't want to spend a lot of time. We're all super busy, or I hope you are anyway. But let me just give a couple of numbers about the stock market, which is the core focus of this show. So Dow Jones, last week, what happened? Uh, almost nothing. Dow Jones Industrial Average flat. How about the Standard & Poor's index? That's a big one. The stock, the S&P 500 stock index, what was it doing last week? Up 1.7%. Again, not that exciting. How about the NASDAQ? Up 3.7, the Russell 3000, which is sort of all the stocks, 1.75 and you know, blah, blah. Pretty dull week. Um, normal for the summer. So, you know, it allows, uh, I think, analysts to kick back, think about those big strategic ideas that'll last a long time and, you know, have a drink because no one cares right now during August. No one's even returning calls. It's hard to set up a meeting. Between COVID and summer, this is truly the dog days of Wall Street. And for those historians out there, you get lulled into this sense of, hey, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then guess what, Mo? Guess what happens in October? Yeah. October. And so I don't want to, you know, I'm a value guy. I did a piece a few weeks ago about real earnings yields. So, you know, I like Fred and the Federal Reserve data. If you go and look at earnings yields and inflation, actually the stock market doesn't look too bad right now. But I will say, I'm a little nervous always about October, Mo. How do you feel about October? Good or? Uh... I, I don't have feelings about October. <laughs> you don't? That's my least favorite month, I have to say. And that's not even my birthday month. You're, you're starting so, to sound like you're getting suspicious for now. 
I know. Well, I am. Now, I'm, very, I'm pretty optimistic. I wrote a piece in my real life recently about the pandemic and what's going to happen and the market. So everyone thinks the market might be expensive. I don't think so. That's just Val speaking. And also my real identity thinks the same thing, thankfully, which is real yields aren't so bad. They're good. And they look just like they did in 1962, which was before a seven-year bull market, and before 1982, which again, Mo, you remember the 80s well. It was good to both of us. And that was a big bull run. And the market is valued just like that. I also have done some homework to suggest that when you, you know, are unemployed and returns at the bank are 1% or lower, no one can make any money with capital and no one can make any money by getting a job, then what happens? Well, humans are industrious. You get people who will take your money and they create something new that's valuable. There's history all through you know, the timeline about times like this that entrepreneurs who don't like the returns in the stock market get with smart people who have just been displaced by the fact that everyone's in their basement and think good things happen. So I'm actually quite optimistic about the stock market. And um, you know, let's just call this, I'm gonna do a break right now and let's take a break and we'll be right back after this. Okay, everybody, we're back. Uh, I don't want to make a big deal about it because we're just all back. Okay, two ideas this week. They came off a momentum screen in honor of Mo. I already talked about that. And basically, here's my summary of a good momentum screen. The stock's just been going up, man. That's it. That's what we know. Up, up, up. These, <laughs> so last week was better than the week before. Last year was better than the year before. That's momentum. Now, in this case, all the 30, I think the 30-day average returns are better than the average 30-day returns of the prior 12 months, something like that, what have you. So a bunch of Mo names, and I got 200 of them. So Mo, you know what I did then? What? I did an enterprise value to revenue filter to cut the names down, and I did a debt to EBITDA to cut down the risk. We want to have a margin of safety as value investors. So that's what I did. And 48 names came through and I looked through there and a bunch of them are overvalued retailers that again, welcome to the, I used to have a, a horse taxi company. Good for you. We use autos now. So that's, that's over. You couldn't get me to buy a retailer if you, if I paid you. So I'm not doing that. But a couple things came through that are very interesting, Mo, and so I'm going to talk about two exciting names this week. One is Eastman Kodak, which is so got so close to death that they had to change the ticker from EK. Like I went to look up EK, and now it's like an a, you know an Asian stock. It's now K O D K, but this was EK for years, and then it went bankrupt. So they were resurrected by their patent portfolio. I thought they were resurrected by Paul Simon. Well, you know what? He's 
quite likely involved, I, I would say. Stock. I think he got stock in the company. <laughs> I mean, it's talk about product placement. Absolutely. Once your legacy is tied up in a public company, you don't let go. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, which uh, I think is why, uh, anyway, that's for another show. So Eastman Kodak, the other name that I like a lot, uh, old school, Lincoln Education. They teach people how to fix things. How about that, Mo? What? So um, those are coming up. Or, you know, blocked arteries? Yes. Well, they do a little bit in teaching people how to do surgery at home, but I wouldn't recommend that course. The one I'm more attracted to is how to fix cars. That works. And, uh, and then also HVAC, AC, all this. So college right now, it's interesting. When ABC News does a story about people suing colleges for tuition reimbursements because you know, those books are online. That professor is online. Okay. You start to think about what do you actually have to be at a college to learn? I mean, we don't have to say that it's PG 13, but you know, in terms of the education from a career and trade point of view, a lot of what college teaches is available online, but not how to fix a car, not how to do surgery. Um, you know, Things like that. So that's Lincoln Education. Um, okay, so I'm almost too tired to go on, but let me uh, let me do a couple quick things here. Um, one is um, how much of that bottle of, of wine is left? Let me see. Let me see here. Well, more than half, so it's not it's not all that. Um, okay, walking through national economic trends this week is going to be short and sweet. I just have a couple things to talk about, um, and they're just coming up on Fred. Latest releases. I like to be timely. So what do we have here? Ten-year Treasury constant maturity. This is the most recent piece of data put out by the Fed. And I'm happy to tell you, Mo, this is the lowest interest rate since we met, which was a long time ago. The 10-year treasury constant maturity rate right now is 0.56%, the lowest, I think, ever. You know, the Bank of England never had a rate lower than 3% in 400 years until recently. Now, people ask me, Val, although they use my actual name, but Val, why are PE multiples so high? Well, the PE multiple now on the 10-year treasury constant maturity rate bond, and no one talks about multiples, they talk about yields. But if you flip it around, let's average it, 0.5. You know what that is, Mo? That is 200, a multiple of 200 on the 10-year treasury. Why is the S&P 500 at 30 times? That's 3%. This is 0.5. So I want to mention that. Um, that may be the most important lesson of the show. PE multiples. Go ahead, Mo. Sorry. Here's just an observation. Um, a friend of mine was with him yesterday. Is a broker, major firm. Called up his uh, called up his bank. Told him his office was closed, which was true. 
said he couldn't make his mortgage payment, which was false. The bank, no questions asked, didn't want any, didn't want to see his pay stub, didn't ask him what office was closed, no questions asked, is going to renegotiate his mortgage. His current mortgage is 3. Point, I think 3.5 or 3.75. The bank is telling him they may be able to get him down to 2.5, 2.7, and uh, push a 10-year mortgage out to 15. So for all of you guys out there that haven't renegotiated yeah. your mortgage, free money. Call your bank. Call your bank. They are. Uh, he's concerned that a lot of the uh, the 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 forbearance on on mortgage payments is is going to be over at some point. The banks are not going to want to collect real estate, and so they're going to renegotiate all of those mortgages. And uh, so they're already letting people take lower rates, restructure. It's a good time to do it. So get off the stick and use some of this. Fred information to your benefit. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. For uh, <clears throat> okay. So that's walking through national economic trends, although I didn't actually uh, go to uh, the paper version. Fred Online is an amazing resource. I encourage you to look at that. And also Barron's Market Laboratory, old school, but good. Okay. Two ideas. We've already taken so much time. Thanks for listening in uh, this week. And by the way, I want to do a shout out to. Uh, George B. He's written in. I guess his team, Mo, is uh, they're saving money on the research department because they're just simply subscribing to our show and now they're getting some good ideas from there. But uh, so, George, these two new ideas are for you. Uh, first one up is Kodak. And I've done literally less work than I've ever done on the show. That's on this <laughs> I know. I know. Now the stock went from, it looks like I'm just gonna round up, but it went from two bucks to 14 last week. That's why it's getting into a momentum screen, but it's not really a momentum stock because uh, in 2014, the stock was at 32. Now it's at 14, that's still down. And the last time it was at 14 was in 2017. Why? This maybe is a shock to people, but at one time people actually had to go to a store turn in their photo making device and then wait to get stuff coming back in the mail. Kodak was involved. They took a fee for all of that. It's all free now. Um, they called it photography. They invented it and they were very big in it. And then they went into Xerox. Of course, it's not called Kodaxing. So you can see they lost out there as well. Um, and then of course, um, you know, Polaroid snapshots are not called Kodak snapshots. So again, they lost out on there. So it's been a long story of accumulating a lot of great patents that don't turn into money. But right now, they just won uh, a contract from the US government. It's so new that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to even understand what it was. Okay, look, thanks, Mo, for being patient with me. Uh, I got something here. It appears that uh, for the first time ever, the Defense Production Act has given a $765 million loan to Kodak to, I quote, help expedite domestic production of drugs. So there you have it, uh, including the anti-malarial drug hydrochloroquine, which uh, I don't want to get into that. Evidently, there's a shortage. We're getting it all from China and India. It's got to change according to our government and evidently our president. 
made this announcement recently that Kodak, a good American company, is going to produce 25% of the active ingredients of generic drugs, which you could see why the stock would go up. Generic drugs is $60 billion business. Ingredients, you know, I'm doing as little work as possible here. Ingredients might be 30 billion, and if they get a quarter of that, that's 7 billion. Uh, let me just see here what the, uh, the market cap of that is. Uh, bear with me here. It's 600 million. So if they get a piece of that, uh, you know, then, and undoubtedly that's why the stock went up uh, a lot. So, um, so, but let me get into some of the details that I like. They've clearly got a new lease on life with this contract. Um, they're trading at 0.6 times revenue, 10 times EBITDA. That's a 10% cash on cash return from the way I might think about it. Um, the balance sheet, uh, let's see, is actually in pretty good shape. Uh, not too much net debt. And I have to be completely honest, Mo. I don't know which one of their patents um, is leading to this development, but I will say it's a cheap stock with an enormous patent portfolio. Um, they've got decent cash flows just because they get a lot of royalties and things like that. Uh, they've been, their assets have been shrinking as they shrink, but um, you know, their balance sheet is um, not great, but, appears to be something they can withstand at their current cash flow. So again, I've done less work here than normal. I just want to throw this out as an idea for people to look at. It's Kodak, K-O-D-K, 10% um, cash on cash yield. And I really feel, Mo, I should have done a little more on that one. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't that's know. new. Anyway. Okay, next up, Lincoln education. Now, what do I like about this one? Well, first it came through this momentum screen. So if you believe in momentum, it's been doing extremely well. The stock was at a cheap stock, 470 a couple of weeks ago. Now it's 530. That's clearly how it got in. And the long-term value of the stock, even a month ago, it was 20% lower. And if I look back over the last year or so, um, you know, it's come from a low of 195 in November um, and even as recently as March. So what's going on with Lincoln? The thesis is, is that um, college educations are going to increasingly be a bit commoditized by the fact that you're not going to their physical location and you'll realize you don't need to. They just conferred a lot of degrees without actually being on their property. So Again, if they have credibility around who is deserving of getting a degree, they have simply just used that credibility to confer degrees on people that weren't even there. So I question whether uh, schools that for years have distinguished themselves based on their campus or their access to this or that geographically, um, now they're all teaching the same subjects with the same books. Um, so all of a sudden, Lincoln, who teaches you how to fix a car based on being there working on a car, or 
how to fix uh, an air conditioner based on being at the air conditioner, I suddenly feel that um, those trades, again, with the longtime theme of needs, not wants, that learning how to maintain expensive property is going to uh, continue to be something that can earn you a living um, in a world where we just don't know what's going to happen with college history degrees and things like that. So um, now this whole group got in trouble a few years ago because there was a lot of concern about public education or should say for-profit education and whether all the money they were earning was going for this or that or for you know trying to get clients and spending too much money to win new students. I'd say that's all worked its way through. So the last few years have seen revenue gains, um, the erosion from, you know, if you're remembering back five or six years ago, that's over. Debt to EBITDA on this is now 1.5, very comfortable. Um, the uh, cash is stable. Profit margins on an operating basis were negative two years ago. They've turned positive 3%. There seems to be a lot of momentum around this. Um, return on assets all moving in the right way. Everything here appears to have a lot of positive momentum, debt reduction, uh, margin improvement. And what I think is happening is um, in the wake of a difficult period a few years ago, management got tighter around running this business, how to recruit new customers, customer acquisition, customer lifetime value, all disciplines of direct marketing that they adopted. So I think the business has turned um, it should be a beneficiary of this new world, maybe, that we're all in, where, um, you know, we're all working in our basements and learning in our basements. The competitive advantage of a college will be eroded, but the competitive advantage of a school to fix cars, you still need a physical location and all that. So um, I like this one a lot, and I will just say from a valuation point of view, it's... Um, you know, given what I feel is a, a very high probability of uh, of their niche continuing on um, to you know add value to students, um, their multiples and such are below the industry averages here. Uh, price to sales is fifty percent. A PE is twenty nine, but you know that's not reflective really of their cash flows. Enterprise value to EBITDA is. Um, it's a bit more comfortable in the, uh, what number are we dealing with? That's around eight. So again, the way I look about at it is 12% cash on cash. You're going to get a little bit of growth here, uh, maybe three, four, five percent in terms of units. And you're up in the, you know, 15, 18% cash on cash return. So there you have it. Lincoln did a little more on that than on Kodak. Um, and that's all I have, Mo. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that? Sounds pretty good. I, I like that idea. I like it. And if you ever do figure out how to pronounce some of that stuff for Kodak, you can always come back on the next show and fill us in. I don't know much about Kodak at all. I almost feel I, I should have done a, a different one. I'm going to have to take a Xerox of my Kodak sheet and see what mm -hmm. I liked about it. So I don't know. Um, I guess uh, we've come to sort of the end of another show. I don't know. Uh, Anything else? Another booming, another booming show for another us. Another booming show. Um, thanks for listening in, everybody, as usual. I don't even have any shout-outs this week other than to Phil, who, you know, he invented page number order, and I didn't even do that this week. I went in alphabetical uh, order um, this week, I think. Uh, 
But next week, we're back to numerical order, Mo. So have a great weekend, Mo. Thanks for sharing your afternoon with me and uh, look forward to next week. See you next week, Val.